Guys, if you can turn the lights on for me up here. Thank you. Before I give scripture reading, just want to make a few uh, announcements. One is we had our business meeting on Wednesday, and we decided that we would pursue a loan to to uh, finish the work or start the work on our roof. You know there's much needed work to be done there, and so that loan was approved by our membership at that meeting. We were trying to, we would like to raise as much funds as we can to pay off a large amount so that we can take a smaller amount for a loan. So our goal is to, to get, we're at 18,000 now. We would love to get to half of our loan, which would be 30,000 by October. Uh, if we can do that, uh, that'd be great. But whatever we can to reach uh, up higher, if we get it to 20,000 or higher, uh, that will help us in reducing our loan amount. So we want you to, to keep that in mind in your prayers and in your giving and encourage others as well. We have a sinceration coming up at the end of this month. And uh, if you remember uh, earlier uh, this summer, we joined together with Crossway Church uh, for a, a prayer walk. And that was in response to many of the things that was happening in our country and in our uh, nearby community. And uh, I just want to read you uh, something that we put together as uh, leaders in these two, um, in these two ministries. Um, keep in mind that Crossway is coming to our Singspiration at the end of this month to participate with us. And that is something that we plan to do so that we can uh, get to know them and partner with them. So I want to read to you what we call is our church-to-church -church partnership that we put together. These are goals, intentions, and values of our partnership. By bringing two churches together, one from the north side of Milwaukee, one from the south side, one mostly black, the other one largely white or non-black, we desire to embody the racial and ecclesial unity that we have with one another in the gospel. We desire to do so even as we find ourselves in one of America's most racially segregated cities. And even as we serve in a time and place where racial tensions are increasingly high. We live in a society and time in history in which many of our churches are still very racially segregated, at times even despite our intentional efforts to the contrary and what we ideally long to see. As these conditions persist, we nonetheless desire to take those steps within our grasp to express the church's unity amidst its diversity. One such means is a partnership between our two churches. This partnership, however, is not intended to be a mere symbolic token of unity, but rather a very real, tangible means of practicing it. Oftentimes, those things that get highlighted in society and grab our attention are the big, glamorous public displays. We're not dismissing or criticizing those things. Real meaningful growth, advancement, and transformation can at times result by means of such things, but although change can at times come from big moments like these, change always starts small. Oftentimes, change is less glamorous, more tedious, and occurs over the long haul, requiring commitment in the day-to-day, -day, day in and day out, when things are no longer popular or trending on social media. 
And so without dismissing the big things, we can engage in those too. We want to commit ourselves to the smaller, everyday sort of change, the sort of stuff that will continue on even, at ha even after hashtags, online discussions, and the media frenzy subside. We also believe that meaningful, lasting change often starts in the form of getting to know others, forming friendships, involving ourselves in the nitty-gritty of entering into each other's lives, being exposed to new perspectives and matters of concern, and allowing ourselves to be stretched. At times, this approach is admittedly harder, more time-consuming, and requires more commitment and more sacrifice, but we, we believe it's worth it. And we believe the church is best equipped, excuse me, we believe the church is the best equipped community on the planet for this very thing, with Christ as our Lord, the Spirit as her common gift, and, that, and the transformative, reconciling gospel as her foundation. In fact, the church is exactly where God has first and foremost designed this sort of transformation to occur. The church, we might say, is the epicenter of where God's world-revolutionizing kingdom is breaking into this world. It's where individuals are being unified or united together, even to one another, and reformed into citizens of the coming new creation. I'm going to pause right there. I'm going to leave. leave I'm going to read uh, some of the more particulars uh, next week as we get together and gather there. But I'm encouraged by two churches and leaderships from those churches desiring to do something that um, uh, is very, uh, very worthwhile and very good. And so we are encouraged in this and want to encourage you uh, by the partnership that we're going to be seeing more and more in the uh, coming days. So I'll talk more about that and read another half of the uh, particulars on our partnership with Crossway Church from the south side here in Milwaukee. Just a little history. Um, we've gotten to know the, the, the pastors of, of Crossway in two ways. One, is they've also been involved in Milwaukee Rescue Mission. Even before that, we were doing a seminar on, on preaching. We attended, each of us attended a seminar on preaching. I've been going there for the last four or five years, and this year, uh, uh, a couple years ago, Brian uh, started to go, and this past year, uh, Dale also joined that seminar, and uh, several of uh, their leaders were also attending there, and some other pastors that were a part of our um, uh, uh, prayer walk that we had uh, earlier this year. And so we find a common uh, theological ground um, that is is important basis for our fellowship, and we want to add on to that and just make our friendship and partnership uh, more practical and more real. So I praise the Lord for that. Just want to let you know uh, what's coming up and what's going on. Our scripture reading this morning, if you turn in your Bibles to Esther, Esther chapter 5. We're going to read from there this morning. If you don't have a Bible of your own, raise your hand and the ushers will bring a Bible that you can use throughout our services. I think I must be the $6 million man. That's my theme music, huh? <laughs> All right. Esther chapter 5, we're going to read from um, this morning. All right, let's all stand then together in respect to the reading of God's holy word. 
Esther 5, the entire chapter. On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace in front of the king's quarters while the king was sitting on his royal throne inside the throne room opposite the entrance to the palace. And when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court, she won favor in his sight, and he held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. Then Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter, and the king said to her, What is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given you even to the half of my kingdom. And Esther said, If it please the king, let the king and Haman come today to a feast that I prepare for the king. Then the king said, Bring Haman quickly, so that we may do as Esther has asked. So the king and Haman came to the feast that Esther had prepared. And as they were drinking wine after the feast, the king said to Esther, What is your wish? It shall be granted you. And what is your request? Even to the half of my kingdom it shall be fulfilled. Then Esther answered, My wish and my request is, if I found favor in the sight of the king, and if it please the king to grant my wish and fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come to the feast that I will prepare for them, and tomorrow I will do as the king has said. And Haman went out that day joyful and glad of heart. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, that he neither rose nor trembled before him, he was filled with wrath against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home, and he sent and brought his friends and his wife Zeresh. And Haman recounted to them the splendor of his riches, the number of his sons, all the promotions with which the king had honored him, and how he had advanced him above the officials and servants of the king. Then Haman said, Even Queen Esther, let no one but me come with the king to the feast she prepared. And tomorrow also I am invited by her together with the king. Yet all this is worth nothing to me so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. Then his wife Zeresh and all his friends said to him, Let a gallows fifty cubits high be made, and in the morning tell the king to have Mordecai hanged upon it. Then go joyfully with the king to the feast. This idea pleased Haman and he had the gallows made. May God give us understanding this portion of Scripture that we read and be preaching through um, this morning. Let's bow now for a word of prayer. After prayer, our choir will come with special music and then the preaching of God's Word for today. Father, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for allowing us to gather here to hear your word, to come to Sunday school, to hear it taught, and to participate in learning and teaching, to come together as we fellowship together and we sing praises to your name. We just bring glory to you because of what you have done through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We lift up the name of Jesus today. We magnify the name of Jesus, Lord, because you have magnified that name. You have made that a name above every name. That is your son who you sent to this world to die on the cross. And he was killed and crucified by wicked men. But he went willingly to the cross to pay for the sins of those 
who would trust in him. We thank you for the gospel that brings that news to us, for your Holy Spirit that makes it plain to us and, and helps us understand the importance and significance of it and help us to understand our need for a Savior. And then you gave us the faith to turn to Christ and to trust in him and to give our lives over to him. And now we worship him regularly. We come together as a church to worship. As we worship, Lord, we live in a community and a world that is just fraught with fear, with danger, with violence, with wickedness, with political ambitions that are apart from your purpose and your will and your desire, with men and women, with families gone, just gone crazy in sin and wrong. And Lord, we see this all over right in our own communities. It's not just the COVID-19 uh, uh, virus that, that has afflicted us, but how um, our government is using that to oppress, using that to control in wrong ways, using that to with, withhold rights from people, from us, from worshiping as we would. And I thank you, Lord, that you've allowed us that protection to worship here without restriction. I thank you for that. And not only that, Lord, but we live in, a, in the midst of just racial tensions that are heightened by wickedness, that, that involve uh, um, evil and wrong towards our, our police and, and uh, just da endanger our safety in so many ways, Lord. There's so much nonsense going on, Lord, that we see on a regular basis that we cry out to you. We know, Lord, that this wickedness will continue and it's going to grow worse and worse. So we pray, Lord, for strength. We pray for wisdom. We pray for protection during it. We pray, Lord, for uh, uh, um, a courage to, in the midst of this, to proclaim your name, to proclaim your truth to proclaim the Lord Jesus Christ to others, that they might find him. They might come to him. We realize, Lord, if you took away all of these social issues, we still have the sin issue, and we would still be in trouble. We'd still be in danger of your judgment. There is no perfect place here on earth as long as sin is not dealt with, and you have provided the only way to deal with that sin, and that's through the blood of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we worship you because of Jesus. We know the hope that we have in him, and we're thankful, Lord, for how you have brought us salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray for your people here, Lord, each of us, Lord, as we mourn in different ways. We think of the passing of Mac Holden, the impact that that has had on us, the loss that we have, the emptiness that we feel, and yet the hope that we know that he's with you. We are reassured by that. We are encouraged by that. So bless Jackie and the family, Lord, each of us, and just care for her. I thank you, Lord, for the strong faith that you've given her to, to be with us here today and to just continue on. We know that that's difficult. We know that that's hard. And we know that can only happen with your, with your strength and with your blessing. We just pray that you just continue to minister to her. And 
our entire family. And we just pray that you would just help us to turn to Christ, to trust in him, to rely on him, to hope in him. We thank you for that. We pray for others, Lord, who are sick, who are with us today, um, and, and some who could not be here today, that you just continue to bless and maintain uh, our, our hope and our trust in you, even as our bodies fail on a regular basis, that we know we have another building, not made with hands, made in the heavens by you. We look forward to resurrected bodies. We look forward to your call on the trumpet to call us home. We look forward to being in your kingdom and living in a kingdom that's free from sin and free from sorrow and pain and suffering. All because of Jesus. And so we thank you for that, Lord. Now, guide us in your truth. Guide and protect our hearts in our thinking so that we would be so in tune with your truth and your word that we would think as you think and respond as you would have us to respond in the conditions that we live in. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Good to be here today. It's good to see you here today, joining us for service today. Riley is here with us today. Hi, Riley. Good to see you. We missed you. It's good to see you again. It's a blessing uh, to get here today and to be here and be a part of our fellowship and our service today. Um, You know, there's times when, when I look into God's Word and uh, I need encouragement. And God's Word is a good place to, to find that encouragement. You know, we live in a world that is just um, filled with, with danger, filled with temptation, filled with trouble, filled with wickedness and the impact of sin all over. And it just bears down on us. And then we have... The, the, the life issues that we deal with, with sickness, with death, um, with bills, with just everyday things that we go through. Um, and I think the Lord is saying, cry out, cry out to me and find your rest, find your peace, find your comfort in me. I thought today I'd go through uh, a passage that uh, a series that we have recently gone through in Esther and just remind us of God's sovereignty. Remind us of God's control. Remind us that in a day uh, when it seems that all may be lost, in a day when trouble is around every corner, that God has not forsaken his people. God knows what he's doing. He hasn't taken a coffee break and stepped out some si- out, outside somewhere and come back to a mess in his office. He, he knows what's going on. He's not on vacation. He's not on break. Um, this foolishness is not, not happening behind his back, so to speak. He knows exactly what's going on, and he's executing his plan brilliantly and it helps for me to understand that and know that and I want to communicate to you that to you as well so you don't think that we're simply in a world of of chaos without a plan 
We are in a world of chaos, but God is working his plan. It's not out of control. You know, I, I, I see a, a couple things. Um, I, I, normally, I have one right here with me, but um, got one in, in my bag there. So it's, a, it's a mask that, that we, we wear, and, and uh, you know, it's, it's been... Um, we've been mandated that here in the city of Milwaukee, now in the state world, uh, statewide, to to wear that. And it's a reminder of, of several things that we're dealing with: uh, a virus, a disease, uh, but we're also dealing with uh, a government that loves to exert its control over us for reasons that um, um, don't really go along with science, actually. Um, and so I'm not going to get into to, to all of that, but I'm just telling you, I know what's going on. I know what's happening. And uh, we need to look to God's word to recognize that he knows what's going on. He knows uh, uh, what's, he's still in control in spite of all the mess. Let's just look at Esther in its context. You remember the book of Daniel and, and Daniel had been taken from his land and taken far, far away, and uh, he, was, he, he was in a foreign land, in Babylon, in a foreign country. And it seemed that the Lord had forsaken his people. They were no longer in the land that God had given them, had promised to them, uh, but there's a reason for that. And we know when we read the Old Testament, the reason, the primary reason is because Israel, God's people, had forsaken him. Um, and so God told them ahead of time, that, look, when you serve me and, and, and worship me and honor me, there are certain things that, that will be a part of your life. And when you stray away from that, there's going to be inevitable trouble. And hardships. And so he brought this to them as, as part of his judgment. Um, but in that judgment, so here, here's Daniel uh, away from home, away from God's people, under this, this, uh, uh, this leader who knew no God. He did not honor God. And yet Daniel was to serve there. Now, what does that tie in with Esther? Esther is even years after that. There's a new. Uh, 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 um, there, there, there's a new uh, uh, king and a new country that's, that's taken over. Nebuchadnezzar is no longer there. Babylon is, is, is falling. There's a new empire. And so Israel still is away. Some people have, have returned to the land, but uh, Esther and, 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 um, and uh, uh, Mordecai, uh, her uncle, are, are still stuck in this land in, in, in Persia. And they... Um, they must wonder what God is doing. As you read through the whole book, you understand that the name of God is not mentioned in all the book. There seems to be no view of Jesus, at least by mention in the name uh, or in the book. And that's by design. God is showing us that it seems that he has been forsaken and not even mentioned anymore in, in, in common day-to-day uh, -day life. And so his name does not come in the book, up in the book. But what we see is he is working continually behind the scenes to do what? To save, to protect, to provide for his people. 
And so God has given us a vivid illustration to say that, hey, when it looks like the world has forsaken me and no longer recognize or mentions me, I'm still there. I haven't gone anywhere, and I'm still doing exactly what I intend to do to protect my people and to provide them with that which saves them. What is that? That's Jesus. Why, why you see in the book of Esther that the whole race of Israel is threatened by Haman, a wicked man who wants to wipe them all out and issues a decree with the king's authority to do just that. And God is sitting there like, okay, so you think that's going to happen. You think you're just going to do as you please. What we see in Esther is we see one of power, a man of power. We see a man uh, whose kingdom is immense and he has great riches and great authority. And then behind the scene, we get a picture of God. That God is the one in control. God is the one acting. God is the one doing. From the very first start of Esther, this man who has all this power and all of these riches and all these resources, what happens? He can't even control his queen. He says, queen, bring out your beauty and dance and perform before. She said, I ain't doing that. And it starts with this crisis. He's like, men. What shall we do? We can't have this. We can't have the queen not obeying the king and and following his. He's like, I am in charge here. And so we see that the most powerful man in all the kingdom being thwarted by the queen. And so the one with all the power, all the riches, doesn't act like it. God is saying, look, I'm still in control. And I will show that in small ways when I want to. I'll show it in large ways when I want to. So we come into the story part in chapter 5 we read today that a crisis has come up. Haman is one of the king's um, right-hand men, so to speak, and he's moving up the ranks. And um, he has a real dislike for Mordecai, who is uh, with Esther, he's the, the uncle of Esther, and um, he, he hates that even though the king has promoted Haman and has commanded that all of Haman's servants bow down to him, show him honor, respect, and even worship, Mordecai refuses to do that. And every time he sees Mordecai, he's disgusted with him. He hates him because he won't bow down to him. And so he devises or he, 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 he just is trying to come up with a way of, uh, of, of getting rid of Mordecai. He finds out that Mordecai does this because he's part of the Jewish people and they have pledged their honor and their respect and their worship to almighty God and they will not worship a man. And he's thinking, hey, that's the problem here. That's got to go. We are people of power. I've got political power. The king has the power. We can abolish this whole group of people. They don't want to play the way we want to play. We will get rid of them. And so that's what he decides to do. And so he, he, he uh, uh, gets in with the king, 
and gets the king to order an edict to erase, to eradicate, to kill, to destroy, to annihilate every single living Jew, young or old. And the king is on a power trip himself. He says, yeah, well, let's do it. That's what you want to do? Let's do it. And they issue the order to do that. Esther is Jew. Her uncle Mal- oh, Mordecai, I won't say it, Malachi, <laughs> is a Jew. And they say, you know, wow, we're in a real crisis. Something has to be done about this. And so Mordecai says to Esther by way of a messenger, you are the queen Perhaps God has set you up as queen so that you can face a moment like this and make a change. And so she tells him, or excuse me, he tells her to go before the king and make a request. And she says, you know, I can't do that. If I did that, I put my life in danger. Because if I come before the king's presence and I don't have his okay, he can strike me down and command me to be put to death simply by being out of order. And then she realized this is a really serious issue, and she has to do something. And she decides to go before the king. And so we see in chapter 5, now she goes before the queen, the king. Let me just read a few verses right after chapter 5, because it sets the scene for something. On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace. Now get the picture. Inner court. King's Palace. You know, you you get a picture, right? There's a great palace, and you don't just step into the king's office, right? You got to come to this big old huge inner court before you can see anybody. You you ever go to a a tall, a a huge office building, and you want to see somebody important? You step in the front door, and there's this huge lobby, right? You don't even know who to talk to. And then somewhere way in the back is a desk, and you walk up to that desk, and you ask, well, I am so-and-so, I'm here to see so-and-so. And they say, well, we will call him and get his approval. So they call up, right, and so-and-so is here to see, oh, send him up, right? So you got you to go through all of this, and now you find what floor you got to go to, and you get on the elevator, and you go to that floor, and you walk, and there's another reception area, and you come up to there, and you tell them who you are, and they say, oh, okay, yes, he'll, he's ready to see you. Now, that don't mean he's ready to see you. That means go somewhere else and wait for him to call on you, right? And so that, that, that's kind of, we, we were familiar with that kind of thing, hurry up and wait, hurry up and wait, hurry up and wait. And so there's, there's this process that she has to go through to see the king. In her court, the king's palace, in front of the king's quarters, while the king was sitting on his royal throne inside the throne room opposite the entrance to the palace. Okay, so this is set up to, 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 to bring awe. You're supposed to come in and go, whoa, <laughs> whoa, where am I? Right. That's how it's set up to show his power, his authority, that he's in control and all of it is in his hand. That's that's the scene that's shown there. Verse two, when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court, she won favor in his sight. Now, this is unusual. And he held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. Okay, so it goes and tells this process that he, he extends favor. That's, that's the official thing saying, I ain't going to kill you, you know. You can come in my presence. I'm not going to destroy you. Think about this. 
This is the wicked king. He, does, he doesn't know the Lord. But think about what it's portraying. The Lord of heaven and earth. We know him that we can, those who, who, who have relationship with him through, through Jesus Christ, have access to the throne of grace. How do we do that? By prayer. You mean little bitty me, insignificant me, I can come and I can talk to the real king? Did you know that? Do you know if you have a relationship with God that you don't have to go through all of this nonsense? You don't have to come through me. You don't have to come through somebody else or a whole line of people that if you have a relationship with God, you can go directly to him because Jesus has made that possible. Now, it's right. You don't just step up and talk to God. Because me or you aren't equipped to deal with that. <laughs> the Bible says no man has seen God at any time. We can't face that much holiness and that purity and that righteousness that God has. But Jesus has made it possible for us to be clothed in righteousness by his blood so that we can come into the presence of almighty God. One of the things to me that's fearful about death is, yes, I'm going to come in presence of God. I'm like, whoa. That's an awesome thing. But then I read my Bible and I read the gospel and I realize, hey, that's already been taken care of. Jesus is our intermediary. He's the one that is going between for us, allowing us to come right into the presence with God. Even though we're sinful human beings, our sins are paid for by the Holy One who is our Savior. And so God's presence is, is mean to show his awesomeness, yes, but he shows his closeness with us. That God became one of us by his son who never stopped being God, being a human being so that he could relate to us. And not only relate, but to die for us, to shed his blood for us. So you get this picture of Esther coming before a mighty man and making an appeal to him and she is nervous and she is uneasy and she is scared and because she's risking her life. But then the king puts out his royal scepter to her. Said Esther, you're okay. You can come into my court and you can talk with me, and you can make a request. So she does that. She makes a request. Now, if you read through, you wonder, why does she make, how does she make this request? She says, here's what I want, king. I want you to come to a banquet I prepared for you, and I want you to invite Haman. Now, you know, they come to that banquet, and the king says, okay, we're here. What is it you want? And she says, come back tomorrow, another banquet, and bring Haman. You know, you know what she's doing? She, she's approaching it easy because you don't just walk into the king and say, hey, I want this. I demand this. I protest this. You don't do that <laughs> with a king of power because <laughs> you risk your life when you do that. So she's coming at him very easy. And so she makes this request. Now, I want you to notice Haman's reaction, starting at verse 9. Haman
Simon to me seems like a bipolar, wicked fool. Look at him. Check him out. At first, we see his joy in verse 9. Haman went out that day joyful and glad of heart, right? He's way up here. Why is he joyful and glad of heart? Because the king has invited him by the queen's request to attend a banquet in his honor, right? And he's just excited. He's excited. The king has asked me because the queen specifically asked for me by name to come to the banquet. So he is just joyous. That's part one of verse nine. But the second half of uh, verse nine shows a whole different story. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate that he neither rose nor trembled before him, he was filled with wrath. Against Mordecai. That's why I say he's bipolar. He's up from this joy up here to now just being mad, filled with wrath. Why? Because he saw Mordecai. Mordecai reminded him of how these people, the Jews, will not show him respect. And he's going to do something about that. He ain't decided quite yet how to deal with Mordecai personally, but he's, he's, in fact, it's already in his plan. He's already uh, uh, signed the edict or had the king sign the edict to destroy all the Jews, but he keeps seeing Mordecai. It's like it can't happen fast enough for him. Mordecai has an enemy. It's Haman. So we see Haman joyful in the very next moment, just furious. In chapter 5, verse 10 through 12, we see him boasting again. Nevertheless, he's going from high to low, from high to low. Verse 10, nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home. You know, even the wicked can restrain themselves when they want to, can't they? They have control of certain things. And so, yeah, he restrained himself. Why did he restrain himself? He's thinking to himself, I ain't going to let this dude bother me. I already done had the king sign the edict, and it's going to be taken care of. But you know what? Wicked people don't like when you smile. Wicked people don't like when you endure hardships, and you're trusting God to do that. Wicked people don't like when they inflict stuff on you, and it doesn't seem to get to you, (laughs) because your faith is in the Lord. I, want, I can just imagine. The text doesn't tell us this, but I, I, I use my, my imagination. I, I can just imagine Mordecai serving the same way he always has, and Haman is going by. He just keeps on serving. He's not afraid. Everybody else, oh, here come Haman. Here come Haman. Bow down. Bow down. And, you know, Mordecai's not snubbing his nose. He just say, look, it's just another dude. <laughs> that ain't the Lord. I, 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 I don't trip over men to honor them. I'm not a people pleaser for, for the sake of doing that. I honor the Lord, and I'm willing to pay whatever price it costs me to do just that, to serve the Lord, to serve him only. So look at verse 11 where Haman this is Haman, he said he went home. He's, this is verse 10. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself. He went home and sent and brought his friends and his wife Zeresh. And Haman recounted to them the sp- 
splendor of his riches, the number of his sons, all the promotions with which the king had honored him, and how he had advanced him high above the officials and the servants of the king. Haman just tripped all over himself, didn't he? He, he said he went home and he re recounted, told the story again. It's like, you know, kids could say, Dad said this before. I, I heard this before. But he just recounts the story of his praise, his honor, his power. He's like, I'm moving on up. The king has honored me, and, and you know, I, I've got my career path set. I see myself advancing in this kingdom just like I imagined. It's paying off. He's saying to his family, I'm going to be the man. I'm going to be in a palace one day. I might not be the king, but I'm going to be right beside him. I'm going to be number two in the land. Just wait and you see. And he's basically saying to them, you know, y'all better pay me some attention and pay me some respect because when I get to the top, it's going to be worth your while. He's, pluff, he's, um, um, he's puffing up himself. You know, the wicked often boast, and everywhere in the Word of God, we see that God is making note of when the wicked boast. It says that God humbles the, the proud, and he lifts up the humble. The reason why God doesn't like the boasting in this way is because it sets a person up for what they're not. They're not God. And God alone is to be honored. God alone is to be worshipped. God alone is to be praised. We see God working in the book of Esther that it is his doing and his work. You know, in the story of the gospel, there's one hero. It's not me or you or anybody else. It's God. It's the Lord Jesus Christ who does the work to bring us, to rid us of that which brings us harm and to bring us into his kingdom. That's why when we sing songs, we give praise to God. We, you know, I, I hear a lot of songs. You, you know, you, you've heard them before, How I Got Over. How I got over. You know, it's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. It ain't about you and what you did. It's about what God and what he has done. So make sure our focus then is not on, look, I'm living this life and I'm doing this and I'm doing that. No, it's what God has done. He's the hero. He's the savior in our life. In this story, it's not Esther or Mordecai who's the hero here. It's God working behind the scenes to bring this about. Now, he uses means and he uses people, but it's God who gets the glory. It's God who deserves that. And so we need to be sure in our lives that we reflect any praise that comes our way and we give it to God where it belongs. Haman was content to take it upon himself. You see none of that in Mordecai in his life. And so, as we go on with Haman, we see anger again in verse, look at verse uh, 12. Then Haman said, even Queen Esther, let no one but me come with the king to the feast she prepared. And tomorrow also I'm invited by her together with the king. Right? So he's happy about this, but again, he's bipolar, right? So look at the next verse, 13. Yet all this is worth nothing to me. 
So long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. He's like, man, I got my career, my career set. I'm in line to be right up there in the king's palace. I'm being honored by the king. I'm being honored by the queen. Every time I walk by, y'all got to praise me. Y'all got to worship me. He says, I'm the man. But I'm upset because I see Mordecai. Every time I see him, I have disgust for him. And so he makes a plot. Verse 14, then his wife Zeresh and all his friends said to him, let a gallows 50 cubits high be made, and in the morning tell the king to have Mordecai hanged upon it. So they set a plot. You know the plot. Here's where I begin to, to see things that's going on today. I wonder is the truth coming out sometimes. I wonder if people understand what's really going on. I wonder when they turn on news, are they believing the nonsense that they see or do they really know what's true? And I wonder if it seems like evil is winning over. When a man does his job in the city of Wauwatosa as a police officer and has no problem on his record, and yet he's fired from a job by almost unanimous decision by the very people he has put his life, vowed his life to protect. And then ruthless gangs of people come to his very personal home to threaten and to stir up nonsense. I look at that and I sometimes say, what's going on? in our very community? What's going on in our world that we live in? What the, what's the nonsense that's, that's going on here? And, and what's the change? And how can these things be corrected? And I'm reminded that it's often that way for God's people who are misaligned, lied upon, slanted in their view, and, 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 and uh, things are, are said about them that simply just aren't true. And I wonder, Lord, are you going to step in? Lord, are you going to step up? What's your plan? What are you going to do? And I'm encouraged when I see that God is still working behind the scenes in the life of his own son, one who did miracles, healed people, fed people, raised people from the dead, caused people to be able to walk on water, healed countless numbers of people. And yet there was a group that hated him and incited a riot against him and weren't satisfied till they put him to death. This is the way this world goes, and that's not going to change. But what's encouraging is God used the very thing that the wicked and evil people do and scheme and plot and carry out. He uses those same things to promote himself and to show that he will prevail in the end. 
How does that happen in this story in Esther? We see Haman becoming so angry that his whole family joins in to make up this scheme. There is nothing wrong or wicked about, Ma about Mordecai in this story except that he refuses to praise and bow down and worship a man. He said, Lord, what are you going to do? How are you working in the background? How are you working in this scene? And then you begin to take a peek at chapter 6. You begin to see there's a king who's not really righteous, doesn't care about If he was righteous, he wouldn't have signed that edict. He would have read, he would have understood more about what he was doing. But he can't sleep one night. He can get no rest. And he decides to have the records read before him in the past. And they come up with the account of what Mordecai had done. Mordecai had thwarted a plot against the king by two of the king's uh, uh, eunuchs. And Mordecai made it known and told on them. And those men were stopped from killing the king, and they themselves were put to death. And the king asked a simple question. What has been done to honor Mordecai? The answer was nothing. All that time, Mordecai had literally saved the king's life, and the king didn't even know his name. But Haman had been promoted higher and higher and higher. And so at this point... The king says, hey, let's do something to honor this Mordecai. I want you to know God is working behind the scenes in little things so that his plan goes on. Now, now we have a little agenda that we like to see, you know, um, we like to see our way be done. And, and I like to see things go the way that, that I kind of would lay them out, but that's not particularly God's way. If you remember when Daniel made his stand and his three friends made their stand and they said something like this, King, if you want to throw us in a fiery furnace because we decide to honor and worship God, so be it. But the God that we honor and worship is able to deliver us and then they said this, if he doesn't deliver us, doesn't change nothing. We're still going to honor him. We still will not go your way, king. We're going to honor the Lord. And so I, I love that because it's not always thinking that God is going to, go, going to do things our way. It's simply that we trust him and that his way is good. Even if I have to sacrifice my life, Jesus said, Lord, if there's any way to take this cup from me, that I don't have to drink it, and he was talking about going to the cross, he said, if there's another way, I will plead that you make that possible. But then he says, nevertheless, Lord, your will be done. I'm encouraged that God is in control. I want to encourage you this. If you know that God is in control, rest and commit to God in his process and say, God, I don't know every day exactly what I should do, 
but I'm willing to obey you and I'm willing to do anything, including risk my life, to serve and to honor you first and foremost. That's what's important. I'm not doing it to make a different outcome here or there. I'm doing it to honor you. And that's what I choose to do. Why is God doing his work? Is he doing his work so that Mordecai won't see a sure death of hanging on the gallows? Is he doing the work so that queen, that this, this woman Esther will be put in place as a queen? He's doing his work for his purpose and his glory. God is preserving his people because amongst his people is going to be born a savior that is going to save all of his people from their sin. God is executing his plan and nothing will stop or thwart God's plan. We need to have confidence in God's plan. We need to have confidence that God knows what he's doing, even though I don't, and I don't understand it all. But I resolve to submit to God and his purpose and to know that his plan is worth it, and I will give my very life for his plan. I will give my very life to honor and to serve him. What about you? God does a plan because he has his son in, the, in mind, and he's going to preserve that line so his son can come. And the purpose for his son is to be the saving sacrifice for his people. God's going to complete his plan because it's not over yet. Even though his son has come and he's died on that cross for our sins, it's not over. His son is coming back to earth. He's going to judge in righteousness then. He's going to deal with wickedness and evil then. And I, I, I got to tell you, I'm rejoicing for that day. I'm looking forward to that day. My hope is in his son's return and setting things in order. I know that all human beings will stand before the throne of God and they will give account for what they do, both good and bad. I know that I have to give account, and I need to say, Lord, I obeyed you, and I need to act in that. I trusted you, and I served you, and I will serve you to the end. We need to understand God's plan. We need to understand it's wrapped around this person of Jesus, and we are to bow down and worship Jesus. If you understand God's plan, then you know that that means you submit and trust in Jesus. You make him, you receive him as your Lord and as your Savior, and you walk in his ways. And you're led by the Holy Spirit who guides you day by day to show you the ins and outs, the intricacies of, of what he wants you to do, but you trust him, and you trust your life with him. God's plan. I'm encouraged by that. When I see him working behind the scenes here in this story to accomplish his purpose, 
No king on the throne with all this power and his riches can go apart from God's plan. No scheming wicked man with all of his ambition can thwart God's plan. But a little insignificant man is part of God's plan, and God brings that man later on, as you read in Esther, to be second in command. God takes the very thing that Haman wanted to use to destroy Mordecai. He uses that very thing, the very same gallows that Haman is hung on. And it's Mordecai who's put in the place of command. And this is all part of God's purpose. You never would have thought that these two would have been transposed in position and one brought down and one lifted up. But it's God's doing that brought that about. And it's not because of the character of Mordecai or the wickedness or Haman. It's because of the purpose of God. And he's using his pieces to accomplish his purpose as he so desires. Our response, Lord, we submit to you. Father, we thank you for your word today. We pray, Lord, that you just bring it to the hearts of each of us today to say we submit to God by trusting in Christ as our Lord and Savior and vowing to walk in his ways. If there's a person here today, Lord, that needs to do that, that hasn't done that yet in their life, but needs to come and trust Christ either recognize that they're a sinner on their way to hell and that the only remedy for that, the payment for that sin is Jesus' blood. And they're to trust in Jesus and they're to walk in obedience to Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would impress on that heart of that person today to not leave this place until they have prayed and trusted Christ as their Savior. We pray, Lord, for those who are walking with you, that they be encouraged. Your word says not to be weary in well-doing, for in due season we will reap if we don't give up. We don't give up, Lord, because we know that you are in control. We don't give up because we know all things are done for your purpose. All things work together for good to them who are the called. work together for good for us and it's according to your purpose. You are working your purpose and we trust you in that. So we pray for those who know you to be encouraged and to continue to be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, to know that our labor is not in vain in you. We pray you would encourage your people and cause us to be steadfast. You would draw people to faith in Christ today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.